I'm Stuart Cutler, Minister of St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse in Scotland. Welcome to the St Ninian Sermon Podcast. St Ninian's is a local ecumenical partnership between the United Reformed Church and the Church of Scotland. That means that we reflect the traditions of both denominations in our work and worship. We're located in South Lanarkshire in Scotland. In the podcast, we usually hear this week's scripture readings and sermon. But this week we had a guest preacher, so we've gone back into the archives to the 18th of November 2018, when the scripture passages were Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 to 35, and Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 17. So, let's hear those passages read by Catherine, and then hear what I had to say in the sermon that week. The first reading is Numbers 11, verses 16 to 35. The Lord said to Moses, Assemble seventy respected men who are recognized as leaders of the people. Bring them to me at the tent of my presence and tell them to stand there beside you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the spirit I have given you and give it to them. Then they can help you to bear the responsibility for these people, and you will not have to bear it alone. Now tell the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. The Lord has heard you whining and saying that you wished you had some meat and that you were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will have to eat it. You will have to eat it, not just for one or two days, or five, or ten, or even twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your ears, until you are sick of it. This will happen because you have rejected the Lord, who is here among you, and have complained to him that you should never have left Egypt. Moses said to the people, Here I am, leading 600,000 people, and you say that you will give them enough meat for a month. Could enough cattle and sheep be killed to satisfy them? Are all the fish in the sea enough for them? Is there a limit to my power? The Lord answered. You will soon see whether what I have said will happen or not. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He assembled 70 of the leaders and placed them round the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. He took some of the spirit he had given to Moses and gave it to the 70 leaders. When the spirit came on them, they began to shout like prophets, but not for long. Two of the 70 leaders, Aldad and Medad, had stayed in the camp and had not gone out to the tent. There in the camp, the spirit came on them, and they too began to shout like prophets. A young man ran out to tell Moses what Eldad and Medad were doing. Then Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' helper since he was a young man, spoke up and said to Moses, Stop them, sir. Moses answered, Are you concerned about my interests? I wish that the Lord would give his spirit to all his people and make all of them shout like prophets. Then Moses and the 70 leaders of Israel went back to camp. 
Suddenly the Lord sent a wind that brought quails from the sea, flying less than a meter above the ground. They settled on the camp and all around it for many kilometers in every direction. So all that day, all night, and all the next day, the people worked catching quails. No one gathered less than a thousand kilograms. They spread them out to dry all round the camp. While there was still plenty of meat for them to eat, the Lord became angry with the people and caused an epidemic to break out among them. That place was named Graves of Craving because they, had bur- they buried the people who had craved meat. From there, the people moved to Hazeroth, where they made camp. The second reading is Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 17. After this, the Lord chose another 72 men and sent them out two by two to go ahead of him to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, There is a large harvest, but but few workers to gather it in. Pray to the owner of the harvest that he will send up workers to gather in his harvest. Go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or a beggar's bag or shoes. Don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you go into a house, first say, Peace be with this house. If a peace-loving man lives there, let your greeting of peace remain on him. If not, take back your greeting of peace. Stay in that same house, eating and drinking whatever they offer you, for a worker should be given his pay. Don't move round from one house to another. Whenever you go into a town and are made welcome, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in that town and say to the people there, The kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you go into a town and are not welcomed, go out in the streets and say, Even the dust from your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. But remember that the kingdom of God has come near you. I assure you that on judgment day, God will show more mercy to Sodom than to that town. How terrible it will be for you, Chorazin. How terrible for you too, Bethsaida. If the miracles which were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, the people there would long ago have sat down, put on sackcloth and sprinkled ashes on themselves to show that they had turned from their sins. God will show more mercy on judgment day to Tyre and Sidon than to you. And as for you, Capernaum, did you want to lift yourself up to heaven? You will be thrown down to hell. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 72 men came back in great joy. Lord, they said, even the demons obeyed us when we gave them the command in your name. Amen. One of the most common criticisms I hear of God 
is that he acts like he does in the story we read in Numbers today. That God is petulant and impulsive and often angry and vengeful. God acts like a teenager. The people complain, so God makes them eat quails until they're coming out of their ears. And that seems really petty, doesn't it? It seems to be a massive overreaction to the people complaining and moaning a bit. It's as if God has just, well, thrown his toys out of his pram. I mean, really, what do the people have to moan about? God's led them out of slavery and into the wilderness, but God's provided for them all that time. Every morning there's manna to eat, food to collect. God has made sure that they're okay. And yet the people complain. I'm fed up with manna. It's the same thing every day. You need a bit of variety in your diet, don't you? We had different stuff to eat in Egypt. Maybe it wasn't so bad there after all. Why has God done this to us? See, it's a really short step from I'm bored to why has God done this to us, isn't it? And that's nothing new. I wonder how often we look at the chaos of the world and wonder, why does God allow this to happen? I know I have. But I also know I really ask the question, why do I allow this to happen? See, it's really easy to blame God for big stuff. We heard last week at the start of the book of Numbers that there were over 600,000 men aged between 21 and 40. They could serve in the army. That's the population of Glasgow. And that wasn't counting the Levites or the children or the women or any men aged over 40. So we can safely guess that there's around about one and a half to two million people in this tribe that are out in the wilderness. I think sometimes we think there's half a dozen of them wandering around. There's somewhere between one and a half and two million people. That's like just under half the population of Scotland. And Moses is in charge. And he's got his brother to help him, Aaron. And that's it. He's trying to run this whole show by himself. And of course it's not working. One of the problems is that people are actually a bit scared of Moses. Moses talks to God. He goes up the mountain and when he talks to God, his face starts to shine and he comes back down and the people are terrified of him. They're terrified that God speaks directly to Moses. And that Moses is transformed by those encounters with God. He's filled with God's spirit and people are suspicious of him because that doesn't happen to them. And they're a bit jealous because that doesn't happen to them. And they're a bit frightened because they don't understand what's happening. So God decides it's time to share the load and the spirit. So he tells Moses to gather 70 people, 70 of the leaders of the tribes, and God will give them each a portion of the spirit that he's given to Moses to share out the blessing. And they gather around the tabernacle, which is the tent where they meet God in. It's kind of like a portable church. 
and God's Spirit moves. And it moves from Moses on to the 70 leaders. And they begin to prophesy. And Moses is really happy. The weight of leadership's lifted from his shoulders and the people are going to help him to carry this huge burden. And then they stop. The prophesying is a one-time only thing. It seems as though the experience, the experience that most of us have either seen or felt about being given responsibility and being all enthusiastic about that for 10 minutes and then realizing, actually, this is quite hard work, is exactly the same thing that happened to them. This is difficult. I thought this was going to be fun. A bit of responsibility, a bit of power. Actually, it's really quite hard. And so we get bored or we give up or things don't change in the way that we think they should, so we just, will stop. And of course, church is never like that, is it? We don't ever get downhearted at the task or leave the same few people to do everything or start something off with huge enthusiasm and then run out of steam. Or complain that things have always been the same or it's not like it used to be or that things have changed or that someone hasn't done what you wanted them to do or we never sing the hymns that I like or we used to do this thing but nobody organizes that anymore. Our experience is exactly the same as the Hebrews. Exactly the same. They experience all the same things that we do because they live in a community just like we do. And that's what happens when people live together. We often think that the past was better. It wasn't. We often think that the young are irresponsible and that the elderly are overly conservative. They're not. We think that change is a new thing and that we don't like it. And even if we do, nobody else will agree to it. The Hebrews had made a massive change. They left Egypt. They were freed from slavery. That's got to be a good thing, right? I mean, who wants to be a slave? Who wants somebody beating you up if you don't do your job properly? Or worse, killing you if you don't do your job properly? You'd want to be free from all of that, wouldn't you? All those things that keep you down, all those things that are a burden. The problem is, they didn't really know what to do next. And that kind of uncertainty causes anxiety. Because we like to know what's going to happen next. Church is a brilliant example of that. There's absolutely no reason that we should follow the pattern that we do every Sunday. We could sing five hymns at the start of the service and then have a sermon and then have the reading at the end. Or we could do whatever we want. There's no rule saying that we have to do it the way that we do it. I could mess about with the order of service every single week. And if I did, you would spend the whole time worrying about what's going to happen next. And after a few weeks, some of you would stop coming because it's just too much stress. That level of uncertainty doesn't help us to relax, to listen, and to engage with something. And if you think I'm exaggerating, remember the day we had a drum at communion? 
Some of you didn't come to communion the next time just in case I did that again. Because change is unsettling. Change can be a problem. And that itself is a problem because things need to change. The church, not just this one, but the church is unsustainable. The way that we organize church is unsustainable. It has been for years, but we're too scared really to do anything about it. And we don't know if we can leave behind the things that we're used to. A bit like the Israelites and slavery in Egypt. Because it means stepping out into the wilderness. And nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to make that choice. Let's leave behind everything we know, all the things we're comfortable with, three square meals a day, a bed and a job, and let's, let's just go and step out into the desert for 40 years, not knowing where we're going to get food from, not knowing where we're going to sleep at night, not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. That's not a choice that people want to make. Last week was amazing, wasn't it? Across last Sunday, there were between 800 and 1,000 people in this place. That's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing. And it allows us to tell ourselves that things are still okay. And maybe things are okay. But let me ask you a question. Did you invite anybody to come to any of those services last week? And if you did, what did they say? Because every single person that was invited to take part said yes without hesitation. All of them. In fact, people volunteered to be involved when they heard what we were doing. And if you didn't ask anyone or tell anybody, why was that? Why was that? I wonder sometimes, do we really want new people to come? And that sounds like a really odd question to ask and a really harsh judgment. Perhaps we're subconsciously scared that if new people turn up, then we'll lose our place in the grand scheme of things. That things that we don't like will happen or that we can't control will happen or that we won't be involved in, will happen. And that's nothing new either. Look in our reading today at Joshua's response when Eldad and Medad start prophesying out in the camp. Moses stopped them. Look, out there, that, that, that's not authorised. Who gave them permission to do that? We can't control what's happening. And that's how it is with God. Jesus sent out 72 of his followers. And they went and told people that God loved them. And people believed them and started following Jesus. And some of those people would get involved for a short time. And then fall away. Some would get distracted by the next big thing. And some of them would stay the course. There's a parable about this. But I'm pretty sure some of those 72 people that Jesus sent out were entirely sceptical about the whole thing. Me, 
me. You, you want me to go and tell people about you. And you want me to what? Heal people? No, I don't have those kind of skills. That, that's, that's not for me. And the advice that Jesus gives isn't exactly affirming, is it? There are some places that you'll go and people will welcome you with open arms and there's other places that you'll go and folk will hate you. And they'll chase you out of the town. Yeah, sign me up for that. That sounds fantastic. Why would anybody listen to me? I'm not you, Jesus. I mean, you've got, like, authority and, 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 and communication skills. That's the word. People pay attention to you. And they might be horrible to me. And we think the same things now. We think that people are disinterested, that people don't believe in God, that they're hostile to faith. But actually, it's me. I'm scared. What if they say no? What if I'm not up to it? Or perhaps, what if they say yes? And I get pushed to the margins. In the 2011 census, 49% of the people of Stonehouse said that they belonged to the Church of Scotland. That's quite a lot, isn't it? 49%. Another 11% said that they were Christian. So that's 60% of the people who live in Stonehouse self-identify as people who believe in God. That's about 3,000 people. That's a lot, isn't it? LifeWay Research found that 82% of people are likely to attend church if invited by a friend or relative. 82% of 3,000 is 2,460. Imagine if they all turned up next Sunday. And that's part of the problem. We just can't imagine that. I didn't for a minute imagine that all those people would come last week. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't imagine because it would have been absolutely stressed out my brains. I spent a time in a small church. There was about 20 people attended every week. And every week they talked about how they wished more people would come. And one week, one of the daughters of the women who came was having her baby baptised. And she invited 95 of her friends. And 95 new people turned up. And they absolutely hated it. Because 95 people didn't know what was going on. They didn't know when to stand up or sit down. They didn't know what to do. They shared communion every week. And that was just an absolute riot. People talked. People got up and went outside to answer their phones and came back in. And all kinds of things. And they hated it. The reality of their wish was more than they could cope with because things weren't the same. Moses was delighted to see God's Spirit working in these two men who were out in the camp because it meant that God couldn't be contained in a tent or a building. And Moses wishes that everybody would be filled with God's Spirit. 
And that's the task that Jesus called the 72 to. Go and make disciples. You. And 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 all of us. Making disciples isn't something the minister does. Moses teaches us that. It's not even something that only Jesus does. Our gospel story shows us that. Those 72 people came back full of surprise. It's true. People listened. People were healed and changed and discovered that they were loved. Imagine that. That the good news is, in fact, good news. But it's only good news when we tell people. Otherwise, it's just news that we keep to ourselves. How else would people find out that God loves them if we don't tell them and show them? You don't even need to say anything. Just say, here's a thing. And if we find people out there that are doing good stuff in God's name, then we should celebrate that. Even if it's not official and no committees said that it can happen. Because that's how God works. God does what God wants to do. And our job's to join in. To point to what God's up to. And to invite people to be part of that. That's how we ended up here. The vast majority of us were invited by someone to come. So who are you going to ask? Who are you going to tell God's good news to? Who are you going to invite to be loved? It's a challenge for all of us. But it's the challenge that Jesus sets all his disciples. Go and make more disciples. Tell people the good news. Tell people they're loved. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please get in touch. We create our podcast using anchor.fm. You can leave us a voice message there, ask your questions or leave your comments. Or you can find us on Facebook at St Ninian's Church Stonehouse or Twitter at St Ninian's Stonehouse. You can also find out there about the other great stuff that's going on in our church. And if you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship at 11am every Sunday. We'd love to see you. Music